0: Okay, everybody. Here we are. This is episode two of Here Comes the Spider-Cast. This is your co-host, as always, Michael, and I'm joined by...
1: Uh, Josh Murr.
0: All right. (laughs) And uh, we are covering every single Spidey comic... To come out in the 1980s starting with june 1980 this month in our second episode we are now at oh sorry we started in june with one comic then we went to july with the three right. comics that came out that month and now we're in august 1980 so today we're starting off with amazing spider-man 207 um which has a spidey versus mesmero actually we should probably talk about this. Mm-hmm. How do you, is, it, is it Mesmero? Mesmero? How do you pronounce it?
1: I was, like, I thought it was Mesmero. Okay. But, uh, I, don't, I know. don't know. Mesmero yeah. is
0: more Italian sounding. Maybe, who knows, right? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold the phone. Oh, I was going to say, isn't this the same, the, the same character in um, The Tempest? But that's Prospero. Prospero. Pros- oh, okay. Prospero. And this is Mesmero or Mesmero. Well, anyway... I hope no one attacks me for not being woke, but I don't know how to pronounce this name. So if anyone's listening, uh, feel free to uh, write it and let us know, right? Yeah, please do. (laughs) Okay, so in this story, it's kind of an interesting premise. This Mm -hmm. is um, Spider-Man, or Peter Parker, actually. Well, no, it is Spider-Man. Spider-Man basically finds himself uh, a job with Mesmero. And it's interesting because he... Actually, goes out of his way to break a date with his girlfriend at this time in right. order to get this job, which I think is really cool, really Stanley-esque plot there. And so, I think of all the, um, I was surprised because this is written by Denny O'Neill, and I've heard a lot of bad things about his Spider-Man run. But I think of of all the Spidey comics we've read, this one might be the most classic feeling. Yeah, what do you think?
1: I, would no, I completely agree. Um, I feel like I'm going to say this every single episode, but for me, Spider-Man is, like, both the supervillain problems and his personal problems, and he's, you know, always got something going on, whether it's girl troubles or can't make enough money or, you know, gets fired from his job, there's always something in his personal life that also goes wrong, and this was just, like, the perfect blend of, like, everything kind of popping up all at once and you know, classic, down-on-his-luck Spider-Man.
0: You're right. And yeah. it also is helped by, in my opinion, excellent art by Jim Mooney, mm-hmm. who, um, I, I like, his career is most known for, I think, his run on Supergirl. At this point, he was working for Marvel. He had done a run on Ghost Rider, I believe. And um, I think we've come across it before. I don't even remember if it was last week or if it was in uh, Quasar Chronology. We I think it was come in Quasar. It. Right, right, yeah. but he is a like a classic artist, and I mean, you might argue that his um, his, his his layouts are a little bit, uh, I guess you could say, um, subdued compared to like say Jack Kirby or sure. John Buscema. But but geez, like it just it almost looks like John Romita Sr. Just a, like just such uh, eloquent figures and shading and For layouts, sure. clear storytelling. So yeah. This definitely feels like a classic Spider-Man story.
1: Yeah, this was this was definitely one of my favorites of uh, this week that we've read. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I I love like even like the little details that that they add into it. Um, mm-hmm. The the first page it's kind of like a splash page, but it's like a what they do is they kind of they make it look like an old movie poster. Right. It's it's or, just so fun. or even
0: like a circus poster. Yeah, I think. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 really fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, even down to like not calling you know the the artists and the writers artists and writers they call they call them like other names in the right right you know in the in the top of the uh the poster headline to kind of match that theme it's it's really fun
0: yeah it says a denny o'neill graphique technician Mm -hmm. uh james mooney uh, and oh and there's there's uh, three other people listed probably the anchors they're called rock right. and tours which is co- of course named after the the 90s alternative right. band Ben Sean um, is the
1: purveyor of color
0: right this is right. great
1: yeah
0: um yeah this is uh, uh, you know there's a lot of also a lot of classic images you know and mm-hmm. this is something I think I, I I didn't I didn't notice when I was younger but now that I, I've been seeing it over and over it's like just the image of of Peter Parker changing into Spider-Man mm-hmm. and like swinging from the ceiling and kind of hoping no one really notices him and he's barefoot and he's got his shoes kind of tied around his arm. It just, it just goes back to that idea that Peter Parker is kind of down on his luck. He, he doesn't have the spider cave. He doesn't have the wealth. He doesn't have, right? Like he's always For sure. kind of flying by the seat of his pants. And yeah. I think, this-
1: well, I, I think that's, that's another thing too, is he, he's always kind of felt like he's like a top tier superhero but mm-hmm. he always has like street level problems which right. is fun too because he doesn't have the like advantage of having like a lair or you know of mm-hmm. a, a flying fortress or you know anything like that it's just this kid mm-hmm. which is exactly. which is so fun yeah but yeah no uh, the some of the like swinging panels and just like some of the things that, that Spidey does is, is a lot of fun even when he like down to him like, standing on the roof talking to uh Mesmero
0: okay what page is that on
1: uh that that's later on, on seven on the digital so it's probably s- maybe six for you okay let's see here
0: oh yes pure Spider-Man yeah right. it's, and really he doesn't great. do that often but it's cool when he does because we do have to remember he doesn't just crawl like he can right. stand right because he can stick to walls so yeah and yeah, then he he
1: makes like a, a Steve Martin joke right afterwards after he's asked to Jump off the ceiling. Like, it's just so, so yep. great. Yeah. Also, right
0: on the same page, there's a classic shot of him. uh He buys a paper without the guy even realizing. He just leaves the money for the paper and then he's yeah. reading it while sitting on a uh, lamppost. Like, I love it's things just like so that good. because, yeah, and it, again, it's kind of like, it's that old thing of, you know, it, the question whenever you're doing a story like this is, how would, like, if you're going to draw Spider-Man, Spider-Man reading a newspaper, how would Spider-Man read it? If it's a Superman story, how would Superman read it? How would Batman? Mm-hmm. And every character should be completely different. You know, it's like we talked about The Thing. The Thing always acts like The Thing in these stories, right? Spider-Man always acts like Spider-Man. And it's just, it's it's an important thing that you, you shouldn't be, you, you should be able to, I mean, obviously we can see his costume. But if, even if you didn't know his costume, if you just saw the outline of him sitting there reading that paper, you'd know it was Spider-Man, right? right? Um. There's a couple moments of unsubtlety I just want to quickly mention with the story. Um, I mean, you could argue with this, but whatever. So he's he's crawling up the, uh, I guess it's the Brooklyn Bridge on page uh, digital 10. And he kind of, you know, flashes back to Gwen Stacy. Right. Which is fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's sort of like, it's kind of like how Batman has to remember his origin every issue. Spider-Man usually (laughs) remembers his origin every issue. This is fine. But I guess the other thing to remember is this was only, what, eight years after... Gwen Stacy died. Right. So it's obviously fresher in his memory and in the mm-hmm. reader's memory. So I don't know. It's a cool throwback, but maybe a little bit unsubtle. But I mean, that's to be expected at this time. Yeah.
1: No, I, I can agree. It does feel a little bit ham fisted, but it, yeah, I, I, I can kind of see both ways where it could yeah. be like a fun nod, but it's also kind of like, again, retelling that over and over again. I will uh-huh. say, though, I really love how the, the panel itself gets shaky in that like bad memory but like, yes. the line art is kind of like everything else is very clean and then you look at that panel and everything is like shifted and shaky and you can tell that yeah, even like the panels kind of match his memory of that
0: I didn't even notice that that's a great point wow yeah mm-hmm. Um. I, there's also a funny line on the next page on page 11 where a cop sees Spider-Man and he says you with the mask like as if at this point he doesn't know who Spider-Man right. is you know <laughs> kind of ridiculous but whatever but um, overall, yeah, definitely, like we were saying, it's like a classic uh, Spidey story. Um, I, like I mentioned earlier, really I love the fact that he lies to, to break the date. Um, yeah. The only thing I don't like, I think the ending is very abrupt. Okay. Because um, just the, the way it's resolved, it's basically resolved in um, in like one page where, oh, just a minute. Now I have to, I went too far here. Let me just go oh, back yeah, sure. one second. But basically, he's in the middle of fighting mesmero and he kind of just says, uh, your move, I was hoping you'd try a punch. Bad guy misses, good guy connects. I love right. traditional endings. Punches him. Hey, Isle sitters, you've come to. Bravo, bravo, curtain and then he just bows and that's the end. Right. So, not a very satisfying ending. Kind of sure. just a fist fight. But other than that, I mean I can at least give it points for having a done in one story in one issue which I always like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, what did you think of the ending?
1: Yeah. No, I, I can agree with that. I I was actually a little confused. I thought that for some reason I had skipped a page <laughs> Yeah, because I was exactly. like, oh, wait, how does this resolve? And then, yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I re like I re, had to reread the page. And then once I did, I was like, oh, okay, it makes sense. I don't know. For some reason, it just didn't click in my brain.
0: But right. I think
1: that's just because of how abrupt it was
0: absolutely yeah so overall like we said it definitely has the the vibe of a classic spider-man and this is I think the first Denny O'Neill story we've read and so far despite its reputation it's actually pretty good yeah right so okay so now we can move on to Peter Parker the spectacular spider-man number what is it
1: um, it is
0: 45. Number 45
1: Yep.
0: right Okay, so this one has one of those covers that I always remembered. Um, Spider-Man mm-hmm. is about to be, uh, I guess, cremated, and in, he's inside a coffin, chained up. <laughs> right, he's about to be cremated by the vulture. Um, now, the first, so this is Roger Stern. He's back again this month. He's our main man right now. Roger Stern is writing, and the art is by Marie Severin. Are you familiar? Yeah, are you familiar with Marie Severin?
1: A little bit, actually. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know much about her, but I—the only thing I know is that I believe in the '60s she was the only woman in the Marvel, mm-hmm. in the Marvel bullpen or on the Marvel bullpen. But she was definitely the only woman there. I mean, there was also like Flo Steinberg, but I think she was just in administration or something. But so she, throughout the whole, you know, '60s and '70s, I think was the only female artist. And so, um, anyway, that's her distinction. But let's, she is a good artist. Yeah. This issue i think is unfortunately marred by the inks by steve mitchell so it's kind of hard to tell but uh the art is good but it's also a little bit rough yeah to look
1: at. I, I agree i i think that the art is actually improved from the previous issue okay i remember uh the last our, our last episode we talked about um how this one the art was a little bit rough and this one, yeah. it's it's definitely much better. The I, I can yeah, I can see how the the inking is a little bit like kind of muddled and uh, rough right. in times, but
0: yeah, and it just kind of makes it like because there's a difference between aesthetic appeal and mm-hmm. like actual like um like for like what's the word I'm looking for like the structure of the art can still be good even if it's ugly right, and so. Um, like some examples of, I thought that were actually some good storytelling. We're on page, let's see, where is it here? Page seven, or sorry, page, digital page eight. There's actually a really good shot in the middle row of panels. There's a really great close-up of the vulture's face. You see that? Oh yeah. What a great shot. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I was gonna make a note of that, and then right below that, there's a nice uh, sequence of the vulture and his buddy walking away, his nephew. Yeah. Just as he's getting shot. And it's a really nice moment to moment sequence where you're kind of following him, turning around, reacting, and then just getting shot. Right. It was a great moment there.
1: And even like the the panels kind of reflect that, like the the background color of the panels.
0: Which is really fun. Yeah, Yeah,
1: because it it starts off with them just like having the background of the city, then it's a pale blue behind them. When he turns around and notices what's going on, it's kind of yellow Mm -hmm. and shocking. And then right after the blam, it's all red.
0: Wow. It's funny because I didn't even notice that, and and you know, the, the, in film they say that um, that editing is the invisible art, but it's it's almost like because that's the second time I think you've noticed something with the color that I haven't noticed, and mm-hmm. it must just be because it's just not something. It's, it's for me, it's just subliminal, right? Like I, it's like I'm I'm experiencing what they're trying the, the the effect that they're trying to accomplish, but I'm not noticing it, which is and that's really good. cool. I think that's yeah. a
1: sign of of really good storytelling and really good art is being able to convey something without having to like shove it in your face so for you to not even really notice that but recognize that it was like really good and then kind of clue in afterwards that's that's probably a really good sign of some great storytelling
0: yeah through the through
1: just the the panels and the art alone
0: right Um, it's funny because speaking of color on the next page you know, you want to talk about grotesque. There's kind of I don't want to say this is ugly, but there's a there's a big close up of this guy
1: when he's getting who, like beaten up by the vulture. Yeah, and it, yeah. it's actually
0: pretty gross because first of all, I'm just going to read this uh, this Yeah, even
1: here. even the the description of it is, is it brutal. It is disgusting. He's yeah. like caught off
0: guard by the ferocity of the attack. Alfred cannot begin to defend himself. He can only reel back against the hard alley wall as he feels his jaw and cheekbones cave in. Oh. And then it and as he looks up through puffy swelling eyelids, he no longer sees the vulture. He sees only death. That's pretty
1: graphic. That was yeah, that's that was brutal.
0: Yeah. yeah. Now the funny thing is is if you look at the way his face is drawn, you can see that there's supposed to be like swelling and bruises, mm-hmm. but they've colored it as if it's just it's all just normal skin color so to me that's got to be a form of censorship like I'm sure they intended there to be some red and like bruising in there but they definitely don't show it so but that description is grotesque enough, I think yeah Yeah.
1: no I I I felt the same exact thing reading it Mm. yeah
0: so yeah so basically we're following along so you know this is sort of uh, the vulture is mixed up in organized crime so it goes back to I always liked when Spidey got into these organized crime stories now at this point to be fair there's there's very little plot after page twelve, other than Spider-Man and the Vulture fighting. Right on like the rooftops here, which is cool. Uh, then they make their way to a train station, and then it's more fighting, <laughs> which right. is again fun. But I guess it's, there's not much in the way of plot in this one. Do you think?
1: I, I agree, but I will say though, like on the train station thing, this is he, they like actually fight in Grand Central Station. Okay, which is to me always really fun to see characters like fight or or let's just like be in places that are real yes like that that to me has always been really fun about the marvel comics is that like everything is kind of rooted in in real places so i i always kind of like um that they're they're in a real place and you can like oh i know i know exactly where they are and you can kind of pinpoint where this happened and i also like that um, it was a it was a good story point for them to be there too i think spider-man makes an offhand remark about um them uh vulture not having a or sorry vulture having an advantage in this place because that's a lots of place for places for him to fly and room for him to kind of swoop around yeah so that was, so that that's too. that was kind of a fun um little you know idea that they had was let's let's place it here in this place specifically that way vulture has a little bit of an advantage and then spider-man has even more to kind of overcome to defeat him Mm -hmm. so it's fun
0: yeah good point i mean if you're gonna do a fight scene for like seven eight pages you might as well do it right yeah for sure yeah so so definitely uh so far out of the two i do like amazing better but this was another enjoyable Mm -hmm. addition to spectacular spider-man so now we can move on
1: to you want to do marvel team up
0: Oh, sorry. No, you know what? We'll do the annual. You want to do the annual the first? Annual. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, as we said, we're usually going to do three issues per month, but in the case where there's an annual published in the month we're reviewing, we're definitely going to cover that annual. Yeah. So, this was an interesting one. First of all, I have to point out that. So, this is Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider Man King size annual number two, introducing the man called. Is it pronounced Rapier? I guess it would Rapier
1: be. or Rapier. I always thought yeah. it was Rapier, but it, it, I don't know. Rapier. Rapier. I'm going to
0: assume it's Rapier. I don't
1: rapier know. Rapier is is more French. Yeah. I like that. Yeah.
0: Um also, yeah, so I want to point out this cover is drawn by Bob Budiansky infamous for creating all of the Transformers oh. names and uh yeah, and uh and character bios. Yeah. So he oh, was really an cool. editor and a and an artist as well. Yeah. So cool cover. I did
1: not know that. That's that's really cool. Yep.
0: And the interiors are once again by Jim Mooney who Mm -hmm. we just, you know, we had his art uh, in Amazing a few minutes ago. And again, I love it. It's so great, yeah. Yeah, it is. Again, it's like, and it's funny because this was a strange, like, you know, this is, let's just call this pre-McFarlane Spider-Man. So at this point, everyone, like at this point, John Romita Sr. had set the standard for Spider-Man. And I still like the fact that they were still drawing Spider-Man like you know somewhat like the way John Romita would mm-hmm. and so it just has that classical feel and I think Jim Mooney uh fits that style perfectly it's
1: it's very good yeah
0: Yep. the layouts are clean the storytelling's you know straightforward um mm-hmm. there's a really nice even like if you just go to page uh digital five I love this just look at this nice page where uh Rapier's f- uh fighting one guy Spidey's fighting another mm-hmm. and just you know we cut to Above them, uh, standing on like the dock with all the bodies around them. Then we cut to a different angle of uh, the one guy tied up in the webs, and then we cut to some nice over-the-shoulder shots of Spider-Man talking to Rapier and then back, and then he's walking away, and then that final shot of him walking away into the mist. I just—it's just classic art. Yeah,
1: it's very good. It, the the variation of the panels is really great. The mm-hmm, layout of mm-hmm. everything, especially since uh, you know coming in from last week, where. A lot of the art seemed very kind of repetitive. This one, you can right. really get a sense of where they're fighting, what the action is that's going on, and the the layout of everything uh, lends itself to the storytelling. Exactly. Which is really great.
0: So, yeah, so in this story, basically, he meets this guy named Rapier, and then later on, he goes back to the Daily Bugle, and he finds out that um, the Daily Bugle is being sort of threatened by the Mafia. But, but in Marvel, they're called the Magia, or Maggie, I guess it'd be Maggie. Maggie, I think. Yeah, and uh, rep- and this particular crime boss is Silvermane. Uh, Silvermane. Silverman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I always thought he was cool. And basically, he's threatening uh, J. Jonah Jameson, but then J. Jonah Jameson, you know, he gets all tough and sort of kicks him out. And then, um, and basically, they decide they're going to go ahead with their coverage of the mafia anyway. Then Spider-Man decides to go to Silvermane's uh, headquarters and beat the stuffing out of his henchmen. <laughs> and right. sort of uh, threaten him a little bit, which, you know, it's it's one of those things where um, Spider-Man's kind of in between... I mean, he's not really a vigilante like Batman, but he has been known to get violent with these guys, right? Yeah. Which I, I think it kind of just shows he's... Again, he's sort of a teenager, and he's still st- st- sort of struggling with the right way to deal with this kind of thing. But it is kind of uh, cool to, for him to deal with organized crime, right? Do you agree?
1: Yeah, oh yeah. It's it's nice to kind of have a, a bit of a break between the... like big bad super villains like the, exactly. you know, the big names like Vulture so after reading um, the other this is this was the last one that I read so after okay, reading too. after reading uh, the other three it was kind of a nice refresh and like new story so mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah I, I liked it
0: so yeah there's a really good line on a uh, digital 28 in the original it was uh, 37 but um um, rapier, he, so we should point out, Rapier, he carries a, uh, what are those called? Those swords? Is it, a
1: rapier, a Rapier. That's, what, that's, that's why his oh, name that, is that's that. That's what it is. Yeah. Oh, there you go, right? Okay, <laughs>
0: yeah. there you go. And so anyway, and so he says, um, you know, but you forced my hand. Now pick up the sword if you've, oh, so basically he's challenging Spider-Man to a duel. It's so he's like, good. like, you know, yeah, pick up the sword if you value your life. And Spider-Man says, yeah, and uh, what do I do with the thing? Put a marshmallow on the end of it. Like, I, <laughs> I love the, it's like a pure Stan Lee gag. Like it's great, yeah. you know, just moments like that. So they do end up having this uh, one-on-one sword fight, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of in this castle. I don't know. I just thought that was a great moment. But, you know, um, kind of interesting. Uh, Spider-Man actually loses the fight. Oh, no, he doesn't no, lose he, the fight. It's well, he does
1: win, but then... Um, Clarissa comes in, right. the girl.
0: Yeah, and then uh, knocks him out, even though he's got the proportionate strength of a spider. I don't know. <laughs> I guess getting knocked out by the butt of a sword will do it to you. But, um, yeah, so it's, it's actually... It, it, there's a lot of... Um, like, if you sort of... It's funny, because when you look through these pages, like, if you go to, like, page 34, there's a lot of text here to go through. Oh, yeah. And it, it I, I think there's an old rule in comics. I think you're only supposed to do, like, is it two lines per bubble or something like that, or three... This is a little bit too much, and so it's a little bit off-putting, but it's none, none of it's bad. It's just a little bit. It kind of just breaks the rule. Of, yeah, uh,
1: and I think breaking the rule is okay if it's if it's really good. If, yeah, if it's really yeah. good, like if <laughs> if it works, it works, right?
0: Um, mm-hmm. And
1: I think that if you because they had a kind of com- um, oh my goodness because they had a compelling story, I think yeah. that I was okay with you know reading a lot and sure. in breaking that rule because the story in this one I thought was the strongest for sure this week. It might honestly be the strongest story we've read so far on any of our podcasts in my opinion. I really had a lot of fun with this one. And, well,
0: and we and you know who wrote it, right? Uh, our pal Ralph Macchio who
1: co-wrote oh. Project Pegasus. Oh my goodness.
0: So maybe he's... Maybe Ralph Macchio is the unsung hero of the Bronze maybe, Age. Maybe, yeah. Because he doesn't have... I mean, I, I don't really hear his name mentioned much but... So far he's impressed us with everything he's done. Mm-hmm. And and you're right. I mean, this isn't like a the story isn't like a masterpiece, but it's a well thought out complete story with like right. interesting characters, right?
1: And I, and I think they also kind of rely on some stereotypes and like other stories to base off of cuz mm-hmm. Rapier is is based off of Zoro, I assume. At least that's the vibe yeah. I got from him. him. Sure. So they didn't even have to go too much into his backstory and I kind of got the gist of who that character was. Just mm-hmm. from the design and then kind of how he acted and, you know, that swashbuckler, um, you know, Enigo Montoya kind of vibe to him. Sure. So, yeah, he he was a lot of fun. Um, and then, yeah, making him the vigilante where you're kind of unsure if he's the hero or the villain and
0: mm-hmm, having him mm-hmm. kind of
1: team up with Spider-Man a little bit at the beginning helps right. and, and lends to that. So, yeah, I thought that this one was the, the strongest story so far.
0: Yeah, I think you might be right. It's definitely, it's probably the best one this week. I'll agree with that for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I, I got to point out the one one line of dialogue I got to point out, this is such a cliche, is sure. at the top of uh, page digital 33, when uh, Rapier gets shot, he actually says, I'm shot I've in the shot. back, in the back. <laughs> Ugh, not good dialogue. No. Not good dialogue, but still overall a good story, right? Yeah. It's, you know what's also funny in, is that, I especially noticed this like, when I was a kid and I was reading these comics, is that um, like you get to the end of the story and it, you're not even sure if it's over. Like It just says, and once it, okay, once it did, I think he... Oh, so Spider-Man says, I'm not sure myself, but I've got a hunch a rapier was forced to confront something inside himself tonight, something that's been gnawing away at him for years mm-hmm. and, and was ready to explode then. And once it did, I think he lost the most precious possession he ever had. And somehow, someday, I hope he realizes it. But it doesn't, it doesn't say the end, it doesn't say, it just ends. Right. Which is yeah, cool, it, which is fine.
1: I, I like that, because they, they do kind of end off this story that they're telling, mm-hmm. but then they also kind of have a little bit of a, like a, unless, or maybe, yeah. like, you know, possibly. Right. Like, there's, there's almost like a question mark at the end of the end. Yep. On this one, so, so yeah.
0: It, yeah, so it always leaves that possibility that he could come back. And, right. Well, and it, does he come back? We'll have to keep reading to find out, right? Hmm. So, so now we're going to move on to Marvel Team Up number ninety six. All right, and so this, yeah, this is interesting because this co-stars a certain uh, Howard the Duck. Right now, are you familiar? Are you familiar at all with uh, Howard the Duck?
1: Um, I'm a little bit. Um, okay, I don't. I haven't read too much of his comic, but I am definitely familiar with Howard the Duck.
0: See, it's funny because. Um, I, I got into Steve Gerber later in life but um, I did one of those things I used to do which is I went to these conventions mm-hmm. and I snatched up dozens of comics written by him before having read any of them okay mm-hmm. and so I now I had read Omega the unknown when I was a kid and it was really good if you ever get a chance to read it and I've read his Submariner they're really good but the thing about Steve Gerber is He's a, he's a satirist, he does humor and mm-hmm. I first, I think I actually first got exposed to his writing because he was one of the main writers on the G.I. Joe cartoon in the 80s Okay. so he's got a certain sense of humor but Howard the Duck, this is the thing about humor, written and created in 1976 I started reading that series, there's 32 issues that he did, I couldn't get past the first 10 Right. because it was to me not funny at all now, I don't know if it was because what they were sat- satirizing was no longer relevant. I don't know if the references were outdated, but I just could not get into it. So, I mean, other than the great art that it had, I just could not get mm-hmm. into the writing. And so, unfortunately, I stopped reading it, sold them all off for a buck each. Sorry. Sorry, <laughs> Steve. But I'm still excited about, you know, it's still something different to, uh, to see Howard, um, you know, guest star in a comic. And so, this is a v- bizarre story where Spider-Man ends up. Sort of teaming up with Howard the guess? Yeah,
1: it's really weird. I I actually thought that I was going to have a lot of fun with this one, and I, I think I ended up kind of being a little disappointed.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah understandable. Um, so it's written and drawn by Alan Kupperberg who I'm not overly familiar with. Right, I, neither I am do I. Have his, yeah, I mean, I have his brother, Paul Kupperberg on Facebook, but I don't know much about him other than that he did two issues of Transformers, okay. the old Marvel series, Numbers... Six or five and six, which I thought were really good. He kind of has an unusual style. He's kind of a more, more of a a cartoony style, right? Than Mm -hmm. a realistic style. And apparently he took over the Howard the Duck comic strip after, I think it was Gene Colan left. But um, I I actually think for this story, his art is perfect for Howard. Mm -hmm. The question is whether or not it's appropriate to Spider-Man. What did you think?
1: Yeah, it, I think in, in, some places it was it worked but then in others like especially when spider-man was Peter parker it really didn't mm-hmm. feel like him like it didn't feel like peter it didn't feel like spider-man but yeah. I, f- I feel like some of the some of the stuff where when he's in the mask felt fine mm-hmm. but um yeah i think that it's it's you know he didn't necessarily nail the the peter parker look
0: well the thing is is like if you look at page um, s- digital six, there's right. at the very top. There's a great shot, I think, of Howard and he's a taxi cab driver, mm-hmm. and it's he's crazy. driving around this guy, the the bad guy of the story, his name's Status Quo. But I think that's a great shot, mm-hmm. uh, personally. I mean, it's not maybe not my favorite style, but I think it works for a Howard the Duck story definitely. Right. However, if you jump ahead to let's see, I just found one where is it okay if you go to digital three now do you see the, the, the shots of spider-man swinging mm-hmm. okay so look at the middle pa- the middle panel yeah.
1: like which his is good,
0: pose but okay but look at the one below it where he's about to land on that building Right. that's terrible because If you look at it, his one leg is like in a completely different perspective than the entire city. Like it doesn't match at all. It it looks like he has one really short leg. It doesn't look like the perspective is correct. And if you look at the middle panel that I thought I think is pretty good, I think the reason it's half decent is because it's probably a a swipe of a Gil Kane shot or somebody. And and there's a couple times in the story where it's like all of a sudden Spider-Man looks really well drawn and that's just my guess is that He's swiping, like, Gil Kane Maybe, or, or John yeah. or somebody. Yeah, I think that's what's happening. But, um, yeah, so that's all I have to say about the art. I mean, in some spots, it's really good. Like, if you go to page uh, 12, there's a shot of um, Howard the Duck getting out of, like, this little pond and right. kind of drying off. And then there's a shot of, uh, what is this, like, a newsroom? I don't know. Mm. Stuff like that definitely works. Yeah. I just think that it's a little bit too, uh, I guess, I don't want to say sloppy, but, like, it just feels like uh,
1: it just feels like a different style I guess from right. other comics at the time the Marvel Comics at the time and I think mm-hmm. that's why it felt off because yeah. we were, we we're reading the same character over and over again in this podcast so we're very familiar with how the character looks and acts and the art style like even if it does change from comic to comic it at least has like a similar flavor and feeling to it this one just felt the most out of place i at least to me yeah i never I felt that right. the, the the art was bad i just thought that it was like it, it to me it was jarring how different it was
0: the other thing too is when you have like a tv show like whatever it may be x files or or buffy or something when you have Every episode has a different writer and a different director. The reason that they're able to stay consistent is because the cinematographer is the same. The sound guy is probably the same. The editor is probably the same. Uh, But in comic books, when you have a different artist, it can be drastically different, right? It'd be like if from one episode of a TV show to the next, you had a completely different lighting crew and a completely different Mm -hmm. cinematographer. It'd be unrecognizable, right? But unfortunately, when you have comics like this, like comics take a long time to draw. So you're really only going to have one artist do one comic per month. So if you have four Spider-Man comics, they're all going to be by different artists. Right. So, um, but anyway, okay, so this is what I would call not quite Gerber-esque, but maybe an imitation of Gerber. Um, what did you think about the story? And I don't know, was it was, was it a successful satire, do you think? Of um, like, I guess you could say American culture or certain aspects of it. I that? don't know.
1: It was weird. I personally didn't enjoy the satire yeah. it like i i thought it was really kind of lame and like it, it felt like it was trying a little too hard right um the whole it's status the quo nose. villain was pretty rough on the nose yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and like his whole backstory talking about you know he, he became a villain when he was walking through the city and he saw people playing with frisbees and hula hoops and, yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah. riding around on the roller skates. It was uh-huh. like, it, it felt almost like, like Dr. Seuss had ridden it for the Grinch. Like it felt almost ripped yeah. from that or I don't know. It was just goofy. Uh, it, That's it a didn't good point. Yeah. It didn't work for me. I mean, even down to like when he, so he entices a mob to kind of start going around New York and Beating up and taking items away from people who, who enjoy fads, and like yes. are enjoying different things. It, and it's also weird too, because like <laughs> frisbees and hula hoops are fads.
0: Yeah, I know. I feel well, like I, mean, I feel I, like
1: you know I I feel like people still use frisbees just as much as they did back then. So just you're we, totally it, right. It's weird that it's it's kind of viewed as this. I, I think don't.
0: the only reason I, I know what you're saying, but I mm. think the only reason they picked it is because in the '60s, the hula hoop was like one of the biggest fads like in history yeah it was and now and that's the thing i mean i grew up with the hula hoop but i think when it came out it'd be like you know it'd be like pokemon go like pokemon go might be around 50 years from now but like two years ago or whatever when it came out it was like everywhere you went right Right. Right? yeah yeah so that's probably what it
1: is okay but you know
0: but this kind of satire can work like did you ever read grant morrison's doom patrol
1: no but i hear it's really good
0: Oh, it's, it's like, I would argue it's like one of the best superhero comics of the 90s. Okay. It's incredible. But there's this one issue where they do a parody of The Punisher, and it's called, oh gee, it's called The Beard Hunter. Okay. And it's basically about a guy who's like The Punisher, who basically goes around, I think he kills anyone who has a beard. <laughs> and now, But the thing is, it's so well written, right? But it's also an absurd thing to be targeting. Yeah. So something like this with the frisbees and hula hoops could be done well. It just wasn't quite successful. Yeah. I guess the I only thing I can say, yeah, like the only thing I do like about this is that I love the fact that at this point in Spider-Man's history, you know, you get you get to like the 90s where you have like, you know, 18-part crossovers like you know, Maximum Carnage and mm-hmm. Planet of the Symbiotes or whatever that stuff was. I like the fact that back in these days, you could pick up an issue of Spider-Man. You did not know what you were going to get.
1: Yeah. You know? No, that's very so true.
0: the possibilities, there was far more possibilities about, is this one going to be funny? Is it, Like, look at this. In one month, we have basically a talking animal satire. We have a mafia story. We have like a Zorro guy.
1: And then like a classic superhero story. And then, right, yeah. right.
0: So I think that just goes to show like the benefits of... Uh, of not having to tie everything together right. into one big story. Yeah. So, I um, mean,
1: I actually I've got a question. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for the for Marvel team up, I'm not sure. Maybe maybe you do know this or or not or you know maybe not sure. But what was the goal for Marvel team up at the time? Because to <laughs> me, it seems like it's a good way to um, have a series. Where you have a main character, like Spider-Man, who's very popular and is going to bring in an audience. And then you have him team up with other heroes that are lesser known to kind of drive yes. people to read those comics. Is that, I, I would
0: I would say 100% that's what it was created for, yes. Okay. I, as we're Brave and the Bold and DC Comics Presents right. and Marvel 2 and 1... Now, obviously, I think at this point, I don't even know if Howard the Duck had his own comic. He might have already been canceled. Okay. So maybe there was no direct benefit to having right. him in this. But... Uh...
1: Uh, the, the reason why I asked was because the beginning of the comic felt like a Howard the Duck comic book. Yes. It, like, the way the, the narration... Um, where they're introducing Spider Man, and then the pan- like, you know, the, the bubble underneath that is, oh, you knew that already. You knew who Spider Man was, and then like they kind of continue and and they start introducing Howard the Duck and talking about yes. him, and then oh, you knew that too, huh? Oh, okay, and, and just kind of that like almost like breaking the fourth wall aspect. Sure. I thought was kind of fun and charming, but then it well, you, it you, isn't really continued on. But but like to me, that felt like something that would be. Um, you know, specific to Howard the Duck and the Howard Howard the Duck comic. So if that was something that I enjoyed, that would probably drive me to read more Howard the Duck comics. So that's why I kind of was thinking about that, and I kind of enjoyed that. Um, you had a Spider-Man comic, but it was flavored completely differently because you're, you know, you're introducing to in, introducing the audience to a new character and trying to. Um, Drive them to that comic book to that different story. Well, I'll
0: tell you, I, I'm looking actually in the uh, the bullpen bulletins in mm-hmm. this pa- in this issue, and there was uh, the Howard the Duck the monthly series had been canceled, but there was the magazine. So oh, okay. technically, that, that's what this would have been plugging is the Howard the Duck magazine, written by Bill Mantlo, drawn by. Michael Golden, my favorite artist of this era, mm-hmm. and inked by uh, Bob McCloud. So yeah, that's where they were driving him to. And okay. then what was... The, the last issue was Spider-Man and... geez, who was it last month? Oh, last week? Uh,
1: it was not... Wait, qu- it was... Um...
0: We should know this. Here, let me, uh, let me check here on the old... Uh, let me go back. It was... Mockingbird. Oh, Mockingbird, so there you right. go. Introducing a new character. I mean, which is another... It's another great way to introduce a new character is to stick them with Spider-Man's, right? So then mm-hmm. she'd obviously get more exposure here than in her own series. Right. So set her up and then eventually get her own series, which she didn't really get one for a very long time, if at all. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was obviously the intent. Right. Um, so yeah, um, overall, so this month, okay, so let's, uh, we, we're going to start like a new little feature. One of them is our favorite story and one of them is our favorite cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, so of the four, what's your favorite story this month then?
1: Um, I think it's got to be the annual. Sure. That one, that one was a lot of fun. It was a well-rounded story and it kind of finishes it off and then caps it off with like a kind of teaser if you wanted to kind of continue on. And if it did well, they could kind of continue that story. Um, I think it was the most classic, uh, Spider-Man has been in a little while, like from, from what we've been reading and... Uh, yeah the introducing the new character was also well done so yeah I think the the annual was my favorite
0: I I don't know if it was the annual or if it was um, I think it might have been uh, the issue of amazing yeah 207 yeah I think so yeah that was probably my favorite story
1: it was very good
0: uh, yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny because uh, even the cover I don't know if it was the best cover but it's sort of the one that it's stuck out. Like I've seen that cover so many times mm-hmm. and I just think that it's maybe the most memorable cover. What do you think?
1: Yeah. That, your one, favorite that cover? one was by Mike Nazer, right? The cover.
0: Oh, was it? I yeah. didn't check. Ah, yeah. I,
1: I did notice that cause I, I wanted to check to see who had done that one.
0: Okay. So that's probably why. Yeah. So, so yeah,
1: I like that. I, that one. The, the, I, I really like the cover as well.
0: Yeah, that's a good cover. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's probably my favorite, which is, like I, like I said, it's surprising for me because it's Danny O'Neill, and I'm not a huge fan of Danny O'Neill, and I've also heard bad things. In fact, um, my my uh, one of my favorite Spider-Man websites uh, is, uh, it was called, well, it was Spidey Kick's butt, and now that's sort of merged with the Spider-Man crawlspace, and they've got a list of the 10 worst Spider-Man eras ever, and uh, Danny O'Neill's run on Amazing is on there, so... I haven't been expecting much, but so far yeah. I'm happy with it. Good. Yeah. Oh, and so anyway, I also wanted to point out, I uh, did pick up a new Spider-Man. It's very rare. I mean, I sort of pick and choose newer comics nowadays, but I did pick up a Spider-Man comic last week, and I think everyone should get it. It's, of course, I can't remember the name of it, so I'm going to look it up, but it's, uh, it's uh, written by Jerry Conway, who everybody knows from his, uh, like, I don't know how long he wrote Spectacular Spider-Man, but it was like it was like 100 issues on on Spectacular and like 50 issues on Web of Spider-Man and then he also had another run on Spectacular before that and then he had another run on Amazing Spider-Man before that and so um, he's back and he's teamed up with um, Eric Larson and uh, Mark Bagley who I don't like Mark Bagley at all but the comic is called The Amazing Spider-Man Going Big and so even if it's not good (laughs) for the sake of supporting these these, uh, veteran creators I think everyone should pick it up because I don't know. I mean, to me, if Jerry Conway is still kicking around, why not let him draw or why not let him write Spider-Man, right? Yeah. So Anyway, are you a fan of Eric Larson?
1: Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I like Eric Eric Larson.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. I uh, I have him on Facebook and on Twitter, so I got to be oh, careful yeah. what I say. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I actually prefer his early style when he was on Doom Patrol. I don't know if you ever saw that. But he drew Doom Patrol like in the 80s, and it was a really primitive style, but I kind of liked it better. And then he went on to, of course, do Spider-Man, and then he created Savage Dragon. I did buy the first few issues of Savage Dragon, but then one issue, it went all ultra-violent with like, uh, uh, machine guns and just vigilante style justice, and I, I right. can't stand those kind of comics. Uh, So I stopped buying it, but I am, you know, I'm a fan of his work and, you know, I have fond memories of his run on Amazing Spider-Man. So, yeah, for that reason, I picked up this this new Spidey comic going big, and so I recommend everyone else do the same. And that's about it. Yeah. So that's it for August 1980. Right. In in, uh, Spider-Man history. So
1: next episode, we're going to be talking about September 1980, so... Um, if any listeners wanted to read those ahead of time and then, you know, have it fresh in your mind for when you listen to the next episode, you can do that.
0: Yes, and please let us know your thoughts on our reviews and your thoughts on these comics as we post them. Please feel free to uh, give us, uh, you know, constructive criticism as long as it's positive. And, yeah. uh, You know we'll go from there and uh basically yeah and also please share these uh podcasts in whichever way you can um tell your friends about them and on and on and on right Right. because you know the landscape is littered with uh podcasts and uh, web series and obviously ours is the best so we want everyone (laughs) to know about it right right
1: yeah yeah. and we are working on getting it on spotify and itunes so hopefully soon yes to get that going
0: I don't know how to do any of that stuff, so that's all you, Josh. Okay, yeah, we'll figure it out. (laughs) Good luck with that. If you need any moral support, I can offer that. Other than that, I can't offer it. Okay, perfect. (laughs) Perfect, yeah. Okay, so we'll see everybody next week when we will be covering September 1980. See you next week.
1: All right, bye.